I was at a gathering the other day, and mm-hmm. the funny thing that everyone was doing was like, how are you? Well, you know, everything excluded. Like, how are you except for all the stuff? <laughs> I took it a different direction this morning, texting you, hey, are you okay? I mean, I know the answer is no, but what level of no? Yes, but that is a very specific, you can ask me that question. I could ask you that question. I know what you're asking. At this gathering, people were asking me that, but then they were also asking everyone that. Like, there's, how are you except the government? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. How are you except you don't have bodily autonomy anymore under the law? Working in a male-dominated industry, in a male-dominated team, not one person has even remotely acknowledged it Nuh-uh. in my day job. Oh, yeah. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. The only person in my company who's even acknowledged it is the head of HR, and she, she reached out. Hmm. Hmm. Which is surprising. Uh, usually my company is very on top of those things, but nothing. And my, my coworkers, I mean, no one's acknowledged it at all, but it's all men. Yeah, you know, I went back and listened to our Liz Estrada episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it ages fine, except for the fact that I do want to go back and be like, oh, Tracy and Rowan, you knew, but you didn't know. No. And I love to say it ages fine. And it's like, what, a month old? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Really short time span for these podcast episodes. I don't really understand time at all anymore not even a little bit not in a covid way not in a politics way not in my own personal life way i never know what what's going on (laughs) (laughs) which means we're thriving i watched a tiktok where a scientist a an actual scientist with an actual degree was explaining the speed of light to people by making a joke about, well, what about the speed of dark? And I was so in it for the speed of dark. I was like, there are so many good jokes in here. But he was only here for the science. Oh. Oh, wait, good segue. Hey, I'm Rowan Hall. Hi, I'm Tracy Harrison. And this is Willing and Fable, the podcast that is only here for history, mystery, and mythology. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Each Each week. week. We bring you original retellings and in-depth <laughs> research on that history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. So if you'd like to support the podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash willingandfable. Hattie R. just did it. And if you want to be cool like Hattie, you should head on over there and check out all of our fun bonus material like the Discord channel and custom art and stories. Hattie, thank you so much for supporting Willing and Fable. We get to continue to... Be a podcast because of our patrons, and we really appreciate you all joining us to make 86 episodes, 85, 86 episodes happen? Good lord. (laughs) I know. It's crazy. So there are tons of ways you can support the show. Uh, I would highly recommend playing your favorite episode in the car when you go to pick up your friend from the airport, um, because then when you're stuck in traffic, they have to listen Uh, And I'm not suggesting it because I've done it, but I have gone to pick up a lot of friends at the airport lately. (laughs) Would you ever pick people up while listening to your own podcast in the car? Mm. 
It's not just like a three-minute song. It's like an hour and a half, two-hour commitment. The vanity level. I feel – I always feel like I have to apologize when I'm listening to the podcast and proofing episodes and someone gets in my car Mm. and I feel like I have to explain. I do that a lot. I I think both of us proof episodes in the car. Mm -hmm. Uh, Depending on the friend, like Kaylee just has to deal with it. Kaylee gets it. Yeah. <laughs> also, she'll pick out the the audio issues. She's like, mm. oh, thank you. I'm driving. I didn't catch that. I appreciate it. That's the worst part because you want to write down the notes, but you're driving. I write a note with my Siri. So I say, Same. hey, Siri, and then talk to her. And mm-hmm. she gets it kind of right, but that's just enough for me yes. to know. Yes. Yes, definitely. I completely do the same thing. Oh, my gosh. I – Turned my Siri Irish. I gave her the Irish voice. Ooh. First of all, curse words are better. And yeah. when she reads texts to you, it's much more fun. Okay. New goal unlocked. Not to be a total Anglophile or whatever. It's, it's She's just a cooler Siri. Yeah, I just want a cooler Siri talking to me with a fun voice. You know, that's what I – a new voice. But you, dear listener <laughs> – Get stuck with the old voices. You're stuck with the old voice. And if you want to support our podcast, something you can do alongside changing your series voice <laughs> is find the prettiest flower you can in the wild and take a picture of it and send it to us or to someone that you love. But no matter what, we appreciate you. Speaking of flowers, I don't know if this is a good reasonable segue, but just outside of my window, just outside of the window where I'm recording, there's a robin's nest and there's three little baby birds. In theory, so cute. In practice for recording a podcast, actual nightmare material. Yeah, and the one robin is really aggressive and they see me sometimes in the window and are upset about it. And I'm going, you know, I'm in here. I can't do anything about your little Robin life. And the Robin's like, I'm out here and I can't get you. (laughs) So if you hear uh, angry chirping in the background of this episode, it's brought to you by the Robins outside Rowan's window. (laughs) Rowan, what are we talking about today? For this week's episode, I wanted to do something fun. Y'all know Tracy and I have been through the ringer. I changed the schedule, which you guys also know that we do. So, since I'm the resident horse girl of the podcast. (laughs) Only only by virtue of the fact that you're the only one of us who actually rides horses. Like, I would be a horse girl so easily. So, I'm not knocking horse girl energy. Oh, by the way, my mom told me to tell you to text her so you can go for a ride. Um, Anyway. Our poor listeners are like, God damn, she hasn't done that yet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, Rowan's mom must be so sad. Yeah, Tracy. Mm -hmm. No, lay it on. Lay on the guilt. Just keep it coming. (laughs) Meanwhile, my mom's listening like, don't guilt, Tracy. Don't guilt. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. But hey, okay. So I wanted something fun. I wanted to do unicorns. And mostly that's because my dad emailed me this really cool live science article about the history of unicorns. I love it. So before I get into anything, Tracy, I want to know, because we didn't grow up in the same neighborhood. Mm-mm. Did you ever pretend that your bike was a horse or a unicorn? All the time. Yes. Are you kidding me? 
Yes, all the time. It is the bike equivalent of Let's Play Mermaids in the pool. <laughs> Which I also did all the time. Oh, the of other, course. The, 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 the final point on that trifecta is the pretending to be spies. Oh. Oh, every time you're out shopping, spies. Well, out shopping when you're, you're spies, yes. Um, we would do it where we'd like go up to a playground near my house and you'd ride your bikes, which was your horse. But then when you got there, you got off the bike slash horse and then you became <laughs> spies <laughs> and you were executing a mission. The idea that spies can't ride horses is very fun to me. <laughs> well, I mean, it was just that we had gotten to our destination. It wasn't so much like, okay, we're spies now and they can't ride horses. It was like, no, we got there. I think sometimes we pretended they were motorcycles, but we were just nerds. Like, I just remember pretending they were horses. And you described, like, the color oh, yeah. and the name. I had a black bike. So, of course, my horse was black. But then later, when we got actual horses, they were both black. <laughs> um, which was not on purpose. It just happened like that. Okay. Yeah. So before before I even get into that, I do have to tell a ridiculous story about me and you. Okay. Yeah. So the first thing I ever bought on the internet. I know what you're about to say. Mm-hmm, can I mm-hmm. can I guess it before you say it? Mm-hmm. Was it was it the real unicorn horn? Yes. <laughs> Okay, can I tell you my – well, no, tell everyone tell everyone your version of, of your memory of this, and then I'll tell everyone my memory of this. Okay. So my version of this memory is I was going, I'm going to buy something on the internet. And my dad was all about eBay because my dad just finds old art and antiques, and yeah. he's just really good at that. And so I was like, I'm going to be cool and buy an eBay thing, and I found a real – Mm-hmm. Air quotes, unicorn horn on eBay. I think it was like 60 bucks, which was a lot of money to me at the time. It's a lot of money to me now. Right. But especially, <laughs> like I had it counted yeah. down to the penny. Yeah. And my dad helped me figure out how to bid. And I was petrified that someone was going to outbid me for maybe the only real unicorn horn I would ever encounter in my entire life. <laughs> so I think I ended up paying more. And then... Like, my dad sat with me, like, down to the second, and I sniped a bit. I don't think anybody bit against me. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when it came, I, like, tested it. I was like, I have to prove that this is real. And it came on this little stand, like mm-hmm. a curio cabinet thing. Listen, it's made of resin. But I, in my infinite wisdom, at whatever age I did this, like, scratched it and examined it and i was like no no everyone this is a real unicorn everyone can relax (laughs) i have been thorough i've done the tests it's real science has a call book your tickets to my house to come see it i remember when you got it in the mail you were so excited and i came over to your house and you like cornered me we're like do you think it's real and even at the time was like, no. <laughs> but I didn't I couldn't say that because you were so 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 like passionate about it. Where I was like, yeah, totally. It's real. Oh my god, look, it's got red around the base. Like it's I don't like, know bloody. how I got there. I don't know how. So my memory is just being cornered by you being like, it's you believe it's real, right? And I was like, yeah, totally. And you're like, good, good. Okay, we're on the same page. 
we were like we were like nine i don't know we were so young so young single digit age for sure yeah. you yeah. all need to know that at that age i was like three or four inches taller than tracy <laughs> so me cornering her was basically me looming over her with like manic <laughs> eyes yes. being like please confirm for my emotional well-being <laughs> this is a real thing yep i still own it i still have the stand I love this thing, but because I bought it on eBay as a child. <laughs> of course. I, I love that thing. Oh, we should post a picture of it. Yeah, it's at my parents' house right now, and uh, I recently asked them to send it to me, and that got kind of curtailed. Um, yeah. So it's in a box waiting to come here. Okay. You can go You can go visit the real unicorn if you want. <laughs> The real, the one and only real unicorn horn. So that's how we ended up here. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My childhood antics aside, mm-hmm. our childhood antics, because you were there. That's true. I was actively a part of that story. <laughs> <laughs> and my shout out to my dad. Um. Truly. So if you're only familiar with the image of a unicorn as a shimmering white horse with a spiraling horn coming out of its forehead, maybe it's prancing on a rainbow, Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, you've got the common white horse with the goat beard and the split hooves that's known to be on heraldry like the royal arms of Scotland or the UK, you would basically be the American majority. Right. That's what everyone thinks of when they think of unicorns. European unicorns have really had their moment in books and movies and TV and stuffed animals in all of of forever. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So... I recently found out that those weren't the only option, and I don't know why I didn't initially know this, but it's because I was not doing what apparently everyone during history all the time was doing, which was, if it has one horn on its forehead, it's a unicorn. Every other bit of scientific information be damned. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So go with me on this journey. Many of the sources I found said that the ancient Greeks had the earliest mention of unicorns. World history cites the Greek historian Theseus in 400 BCE first documenting a unicorn-esque animal appearing Mm -hmm. in the region around India, Tibet, and the Himalayas. And for the ancient Greeks, this was a distant, fantastical land. Mm -hmm. So Theseus had a text called Indica. You know, okay, hold on. Actually, before I quote this, two things to know. Theseus had never been to this part of the world, so he was writing entirely based on information that other people had told him who had traveled the Silk Road. Okay. Great start. Awesome. Great start for getting accurate information. For sure. My favorite way. (laughs) And his text only survived in fragments and summaries. And I'm now going to quote one of the most famous ones. And this is the 25th fragment summarized by Photius in the 9th century CE. And this is where people say the first mention of a unicorn-like animal appears. Okay. Quote, 
There are in India certain wild asses which are as large as horses and even larger. Their bodies are white, their heads dark red, their eyes dark blue. They have a horn in the middle of the forehead that is one cubit, about a foot and a half, in length. The base of this horn is pure white. The upper part is sharp and of a vivid crimson, and the middle portion is black. Those who drink from these horns, made into drinking vessels, are not subject, they say, either to convulsions or to the falling sickness. Indeed, they are immune even to poisons if, either before or after swallowing such, they drink wine, water, or anything else from these beakers. This animal is exceedingly swift and powerful, so that no creature, neither horse nor any other, can overtake it. There is no other way to capture them in the hunt than this. When they conduct their young to pasture, if they are surrounded by many horsemen, they refuse to flee, thus forsaking their offspring. They fight with thrusts of horn, they kick, bite, and strike with wounding force both horses and hunters, but they perish under the blows of arrows and javelins, for they cannot be taken alive. The flesh of this animal is so bitter that it is not edible. It is hunted for its horn and its ankle bone. So he's saying that this creature is real and impossibly fast, and its horn, if made into a drinking vessel, basically makes you immune just to everything. So this is basically the foundation for unicorns full stop. At every turn, you're going to go, so someone thought this was real and drinking from this would heal you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like every time, Tracy. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. So then Aristotle joins in and Roman naturalist Pliny the Elder. And then Julius Caesar claimed that animals similar to a unicorn could be found in the Hercynian forest of Germany. Actually, hold on. Pliny the Elder's description of a unicorn is really intriguing, too. Love Pliny the Elder. He's a wild man. He just went, you know what? I know more than everyone else and wrote a bunch of books about it. And he was wrong. And then Mount Vesuvius exploded and he was like, oh, cool. Let me get closer to that. And then he died. Wild guy. I want to do a whole episode on him. I'm glad you're saying that because I did have in my head that you liked him, but I couldn't remember why. Because he's insane in a way that I think is so fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, the unicorn is the fiercest animal, and it is said that it is impossible to capture one alive. It has the body of a horse, the head of a stag, the feet of an elephant, the tail of a boar, and a single black horn, two cubits or three feet long, in the middle of its forehead. Its cry is a deep bellow. That sounds like a nightmare. Yes, nightmare fuel. And there's a reason to believe that this animal that he's describing may have been or have been inspired by the oryx, which is a kind of antelope, or what is called the Asian ass, or even very likely the rhinoceros. Oh, that makes sense. But Pliny the Elder called this animal the monokeros, meaning single horn. Mm -hmm. But this ancient Greek monokeros is actually not the first mention of the unicorn. Patrick Pester for Live Science writes, In the 3rd century BC, scholars translating the Bible from Hebrew into Greek took the Hebrew word re'em, likely the name for aurochs, and turned it into the Greek word monokeros, which meant one horn 
which had been used for rhinos. The word later became unicornus in Latin translations Mm. of the Greek Bible and unicorn in English versions of the Latin. According to Merriam-Webster, the unicorn thus became a biblical animal associated with Jesus Christ and purity. There's a lot going on in that absolutely buck wild quote, pun intended. (laughs) But that quote is going to like get us through this whole episode. And just so everyone knows where we're going... We end up with Jesus. Okay. That was my first and only question. So, all right. I'll wait. All roads. In our podcast, truly, truly, all roads lead us to Christianity somehow. Yeah. Let's go back even further than the ancient Greeks, though, to start. Because even though their empire was incredibly vast... We've talked about this a little bit before, but the white marble statues we see in museums allow modern audiences to really imagine the ancient Greeks as being very white people. Yeah. And the earliest versions of the unicorn myth, not a white horse, not from white people. (laughs) (laughs) So it is possible that we could go all the way back to a single cave painting found in the Hall of the Bulls at the Paleolithic Lascaux Cave. And this dates back to 17,000 BCE and is referred to as a unicorn because it depicts a beast with one horn, maybe. Great! (laughs) (laughs) But let's begin in a portion of history that more people agree has some unicorn stuff happening. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So far, I'm waiting for the unicorn, and it's been like, well, (laughs) someday. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Is it a real unicorn horn? (laughs) Maybe. Let's just corner you real quick and check. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm sorry, belatedly, for cornering you. But I really needed that at the time. You can corner me anytime you want. That's fine. <laughs> you can corner me today and ask if it's real and I'll still say Is yes. it a real unicorn horn? It's a real I think it's real. Look at it. It looks genuine. You really did come through with that red at the base, you absolute monster. <laughs> that was exactly the kind of thing I'd go for. Anyway, the Indus Valley Civilization is named for the Indus River, one of the longest rivers in Asia. And this is one of the oldest civilizations in human history, and it arose around the same time as ancient Egypt. About 5,000 years ago, lasting from about 3300 BC to 1300 BC, it existed in South Asia and included parts of modern-day India, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. The name that we conventionally call a unicorn is used to describe the image from these stamps and seals from the Bronze Age Indus Valley Civilization. And Wikipedia describes the figures from these stamps. Quote, It has a body more like a cow than a horse, and a curved horn that goes forward than up at the tip. The mysterious feature depicted coming down from the front of the back is usually shown. It may represent a harness or other covering. Typically, the unicorn faces a vertical object with at least two stages. This is variously described as a ritual offering stand, an incense burner, or a manger. 
The animal is always in profile on indices, but the theory that it represents animals with two horns, one hiding the other, is disproved by a much smaller number of small terracotta unicorns, probably toys, and the profile depictions of bulls where both horns are clearly shown. It is thought that the unicorn was the symbol of a powerful, quote, clan or merchant community, but may also have had some religious significance. So this unicorn is a cow that may have had two horns and just have been a regular cow. That was my first guess, was that it was just some kind of working animal, but the fact that other depictions, you can see both horns, makes me question. But it's a weird shape for a horn. It it protrudes forward out of its face, like you would expect a, a unicorn horn to do, but then it kind of does like a reverse S shape at the end. Yeah, Tracy is looking at an Indus stamp seal and then a modern impression made from that seal. So she's getting both the relief and the impression. Mm-hmm. It's got udders, right? Or maybe that's a penis. It's one or the other. <laughs> Genuinely hard to tell. And, you know, okay, so every time I think about this, like, oh, it can't possibly be a, a two-horned animal where the one said one part of the horns is hidden, I think about all of the different ways humans have drawn humans. And you don't always get two arms just because we have two arms. True, true. But if you consistently draw humans in profile and you always leave out one arm, okay, that's your style. If you draw humans in profile and sometimes they have one arm, but other times they have two arms, that's where I could see getting confusing. And the fact that sometimes these animals in profile have both horns and these this one very much does not, makes me think it was a deliberate choice. Yeah, I'm just not ruling out that it was a deliberate choice on the part of the artist or whoever decided how these seals worked. Right. Just because, you know, name any of a number of artists that exist in our society. This was a huge, long-lived, massive civilization. It's true. That's very, very true. I'm not trying to ruin the unicorn factor, though, either. <laughs> <laughs> Now, American archaeologist Jonathan Mark Kenner, who was born in 1952 and last published in 1983, to be clear, he believed that the unicorn of the Indus Valley civilization did not have any direct connection to unicorns from other parts of the world, which makes absolutely no sense to me. Some people observe a more clear through line to the unicorns of Western Asia. Mm-hmm. The St. Neots Museum in England states that these unicorns were likely depictions of the aurochs, a wild ox that went extinct in the 17th century. Remember me mentioning my translation quote from above? This makes it even more likely that this belief in quote-unquote unicorns either traveled with this ox or traveled with people talking about and not mm -hmm. understanding what this ox actually was. Absolutely. That makes complete sense. The idea of, especially as the ox is traveling and maybe some people find just the skeletons or images or the people who, like you said, the people who are with them tell the stories of their culture. It's how culture and stories spread. That's 
a pretty consistent thing we see throughout history. It really is. I don't know why they're just writing it off for this one. Because he last published in the 1980s. Eh. Hmm. Callie Shichapansky, a PhD and history teacher who specialized in Asian history and culture, writes for ThoughtCo, The Chilin, or Chinese unicorn, is a mythical beast that symbolizes good luck and prosperity. According to tradition in China, Korea, and Japan, the Chilin would appear to signal the birth or death of a particularly benevolent ruler or sage scholar. Because of its association with good luck and its peaceful vegetarian nature, the Chilin is sometimes called the Chinese unicorn in the Western world. But it does not particularly resemble a horned horse. Okay, so is it just... Truly, Tracy? Chilin don't look like white horse unicorns you'd know from Europe at all. Okay, so they first appear in East Asia in the Chronicle of Zhou, which describes Chinese history from 1722 to 458 BCE. It explains the first Chinese writing system was transcribed from the back of a Qilin in 3000 BCE. That's a cool story. So someone saw this creature, saw the figures on its back, and went language. Got it. And one of the stories that I read, the guy really quickly grabbed a stick and started writing in the dirt before it went away. Oh, that's such a cool story. It's it's a really cool story. Um, and there's a lot of different versions of it, of course. Right. Names and descriptions for this creature vary between regions and countries, just like all of these other unicorns. Japan, Korea, Thailand, and Vietnam all have unique yet similar stories. They have unique yet similar names. And for some reason, I'm not exactly sure why the Chinese Chilin has gotten the most publicity. Okay, Trace, this is a sculpture, or I guess a cast of a Chilin. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Doesn't it have two horns? It, it has two horns, yeah. There is exactly one thing you need to be a unicorn. And it doesn't even have that. Okay, so it, it looks like a kind of head slash mane of a lion with scaled body, like fish scales. Something running down the ridge of its back that leads into a interesting tail, uh, hooves, and two horns. That look kind of more like antlery horns, like they have branches yeah. rather than just little spikes. Okay. So this is likened to a unicorn because mm-hmm. some descriptions say that there is a single horn protruding from its forehead, but others say it has more horns. Or the head of a dragon, and doesn't really even mention horns at all. Great. It may have the body of a tiger, or a deer, or an ox's tail. It may be covered in fish scales, or, perhaps coolest of all, the Chilin could be covered in fire, and or incinerate evil people with its fire breath. That said, they are considered peaceful and reclusive, a Chilin steps so lightly that it doesn't bend the blades of grass and it can walk on water. These things are so cool. Really cool. So clearly unicorns around the world are not a one-to-one. <laughs> no, uh, but I also wouldn't put this under the category of unicorn. It's its own thing. Yeah, it really is. But 
you know, when you look up unicorns, the whole of the internet likes to to say, here are all the unicorns. Mm-hmm. And I think it's worth putting in there because I hadn't heard of this creature. No. Until this. And one of my favorite things about unicorns is that sometimes they're just like rhinoceroses. Rhinoceri? I think it's rhinoceroses. Rhinocepod? <laughs> A rhinocepod. I think I think octopod is. I think both octopuses and octopi are the appropriate plural for octopus. Hey, write in and let us know. <laughs> I think it's octopod. Ho 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 ho. Okay, Tracy. According to OceanConservancy.org, octopi is the oldest plural form of octopus coming from the belief that Latin origins should have Latin endings. However, octopus is not a simple Latin word, but a Latinized form of the Greek word octopus. Consequently, its correct plural would logically be octopodes. (laughs) Wasn't that what I said? (laughs) Yeah, you said octopods. You were right. You were so right. I'm just saying it with the E. You were right. No, yeah, octopods, octopodes. The reason that I know that is... In college, there was a girl I knew who was super in to octopi pods, pusses, <laughs> boats, <laughs> and and that was a fact that she would tell us. Okay, so the plural of rhinoceros is rhinoceroses, rhinoceros, mm-hmm. rhinoceri, <laughs> according to Merriam-Webster. <laughs> You know that trend going around, just Gen <laughs> Z right now, where they add ussy to everything? That's what it felt like when you said rhinoceroses. It's the rhinoceros. <laughs> <laughs> I hated it coming out of my mouth, but also it had to be said. I will never forgive you. So actually, historians know that the ancient Chinese had contact with rhinoceri because they were using their horns in art. So it is possible that the Chilin are based on rhinoceri. Yeah. In the same way that the ancient Greeks could have been like, I don't know what that is, but now it's a unicorn. Mm Mm-hmm. I imagine just finding the skeleton and not knowing. There is a story that I didn't feel like had enough information about it to really say. Again, this is one of those heard over the, through the grapevine moments. Mm-hmm. But there was a, a skeleton of a unicorn, but it only had two legs. And was the horn really part of it? And I was like, well, it looks like it got grave robbed. Um, and it was probably an animal with four legs. Mm-hmm. And the horn doesn't seem to really go with it. Yeah, yeah. Which reminds me of, like, dragon dinosaurs, or mm-hmm. really just dinosaurs in general. Oh, yeah. Yeah, people finding um, elephant skulls, and because of the large front nasal cavity, it looks like a single hole, and that's part of why they think uh, the idea of cyclopses were so popular in ancient Greece. hmm It's really cool mm-hmm. trying to make a cyclops out of that skull. Oh, yeah. 
So across East Asia, the chilin is considered one of the four noble animals. The others are the dragon, the phoenix, and the tortoise. And these quote-unquote unicorns can live for 2,000 years and are sometimes known to bring babies to deserving parents. Oh. In 552 BCE, one of these creatures is said to have heralded the birth of Confucius and King Dongmyeong of Korea rode one like a horse. Whoa. <laughs> Could you imagine? Right. Yeah, that's a big deal. <laughs> Callie Shuchapansky also writes, quote, Much later, during the Ming Dynasty, 1368 to 1644, we have solid historical evidence of at least two Qilin showing up in China in 1413. Actually, they were giraffes from the coast of Somalia. The great Admiral Zhang He brought them back to Beijing after his fourth voyage. The giraffes were immediately proclaimed to be Qilin. The Yongle Emperor was naturally extremely pleased to have a symbol of wise leadership show up during his reign, courtesy of the treasure fleet. Although traditional depictions of the Qilin had a much shorter neck than any giraffes, the association between the two animals remains strong to this day. In both Korea and Japan, the term for giraffe is Kirin or Qilin. Do you want to hear an absolutely insane quote from Marco Polo? Oh, yes, of course I do. So when Marco Polo traveled through Asia, he was really surprised to learn that unicorns were nothing like he thought they would be. Quote, There are wild elephants and plenty of unicorns, which are scarcely smaller than elephants. They have the hair of a buffalo and feet like an elephant's. They have a single large black horn in the middle of the forehead. They have a head like a wild boar's and always carry it stooped toward the ground. They spend their time by preference wallowing in mud and slime. They are very ugly brutes to look at. They are not at all such as we describe them when we relate that they let themselves be captured by virgins. What do you think he's describing? It sounds like a rhino. It's, it's probably a Sumatran rhino, yeah. But still a unicorn. <laughs> it's true. It, has, it meets the only criteria. Have one horn. <laughs> one horn only. You get one. One horn. <laughs> Don't be greedy. <laughs> it is funny because of our understanding of unicorns to imagine, like, rhinos who get accused of being very ugly. Mm -hmm. Being like, unicorn. Like a sparkle rainbow. You know, it's kind of cute. Mm -hmm. oh, I want to see a rainbow sparkle rhino. Listeners, give Tracy a rainbow sparkle rhino, please. please. Wait, Tracy, you can give yourself a rainbow no, sparkle uh, rhino. No, I want it from someone else. <laughs> you want to talk about Christianity? Let's talk about Christianity. Some <sighs> translations of the Bible include unicorns, and others do not. I don't think the one I had growing up had unicorns in it. I would have been way more interested. <laughs> I keep going back to that same translation quote I read at the top. When that Hebrew word re'em was likely referring to that now extinct ox, and then it was linked to the Greek word monokeros, we got biblical unicorns. <laughs> An example. In one translation of Numbers 24.8, you have, quote, God brought him forth out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. 
He shall eat up the nations, his enemies, and shall break their bones and pierce them through with his arrows. Plug in ox. And the sentence works maybe even better. Yeah. So, is it really just that at some point along the way we decided that unicorn meant fun fantasy magical creature when it really was just referring to actual animals that were just walking around that were probably oxen? Somewhere along the way, we decided, and by we, I mean Europeans, Uh decided that unicorn meant fun fantasy creature that symbolized Jesus, and also we got to draw naked women about it. Okay, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) So we're rolling it back to 7th century Europe, and Spanish scholar and cleric Isidore of Seville joins the unicorn party, and I am so glad he's here. As I read about him, please remember that a 19th century historian once called Seville, quote, the last scholar of the ancient world. Ooh, wow. So our cleric writes that a unicorn, quote, is very strong and pierces anything it attacks. It fights with elephants and kills them by wounding them in the belly. Cool, honestly. So normal so far compared to everything else we've read. They are always with elephants. True, true. Probably because they're rhinos. Okay, (laughs) they are. Continuing the quote. The unicorn is too strong to be caught by hunters, except by a trick. If a virgin girl is placed in front of a unicorn and she bears her breast to it, all of its fierceness will cease, and it will lay its head on her bosom, and thus quieted is easily caught. Basically, the unicorn suckles at the virgin's breast until it falls asleep. This was written by a horny man. This was written by a sad, lonely man. No woman writes this. You want another sad, lonely, horny man? You want another one? Hey, look, it's Leonardo da Vinci in one of his notebooks. Quote, the unicorn, through its intemperance and not knowing how to control itself, for the love it bears to fair maidens, forgets its ferocity and wildness, and laying aside all fear, it will go up to a seated damsel and go to sleep in her lap, and thus the hunters take it. Feels like a self-insert for, like, the way... A self-insert where you're a unicorn. Yeah, yeah, it's how men see themselves. I mean, I could write a whole essay about, like, these descriptions are really just men describing other men and how women can handle them or take care of them or whatever, but this is such a gendered... (laughs) thing also is it implying that they were just all unicorns or just like real in to the maidens or is it like all unicorns are male or does it not matter the gender of the unicorn or do unicorns have no gender i like to think that whether or not unicorns participate in gender they don't care like girl unicorn boy unicorn they're like maiden let's go (laughs) But that imagery has carried through. Like, think of all the fair elf maiden with the unicorn. Like, Barbie with the unicorn. Yeah. Or or the uh, queer trope of, like, the couple seeking the unicorn, which is the perfect woman that doesn't, like, have any emotional needs mm-hmm. or want to be a part of their relationship. is just there to bone. Right. I love this malarkey about unicorns. Like, this is the absolute utter audacity that I wanted from these (laughs) 
mythical creatures. Like before, every single thing, I'm like, oh, that's a cool, legitimate classic myth right. coming out of China. Oh, look, it's rhinoceroses again. <laughs> yeah, and this one's insane. <laughs> it's insane. I mean, I knew I knew the the part of the myth that unicorns were, like were would be drawn to virgins. I know they make that joke in the show Gallivant. Great show. And I also knew that they have a bloody history where they would fight with their horns. Something about the description of, like, <laughs> you have to take a virgin and she bears her breasts and then it just cuddles up and goes to sleep is so unsettling to me. I can't even. The thing that fights lesser horses, like unhorned horses, with its own one long protruding horn thing that stabs. With its one big horn <laughs> and it stabs it and then it curls up in the lap of a beautiful maiden. Yeah, this was written by a woman. Totally. <laughs> I don't think anybody cared that it was never written by a woman. Everyone during this time was like, women don't write. No. <laughs> no, they can't read. Actually, there's demons in their bodies, and they just spend most of the time trying to get them out. Well, they get them out by suckling unicorns. So do they suckle the unicorn, or do you... <laughs> they straight... That part... The yes. unicorn suckles onto her. Suckles on them. But is is it to suckle and to suckle? Like... <laughs> I thought... Let's not get into... <laughs> the logistics of the word suckle will be here for a long time. <laughs> so if you've ever seen images of virgin-associated unicorns from Europe, and Tracy, you'll know this as mm -hmm. soon as I show mm -hmm. it to you, it is likely from the incredibly famous tapestries called The Hunt of the Unicorn. They're in the cloisters of the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. I feel like I've seen images of these tapestries in the opening credits of more than one movie. But it's basically a bunch of noblemen and a hot virgin hunting a unicorn and eventually trapping it in a small circular paddock that has a pomegranate tree. And there's just pretty filigree behind them the whole time. So, Tracy, this is one of the most popular tapestries from the series. It's called The Unicorn is in Captivity. Okay. So, it's exactly like Rowan described. It looks like your the, – the background looks like your grandmother's floral wallpaper combined with, like, a dark <laughs> academia color scheme of emeralds and – and muted reds and yellows. In the center is a tree. Uh, looks like it's got some kind of orange fruit on it. There's a very, very, very small fenced-in little circle inside of which is a white unicorn with an extremely long horn. Like, the horn is the length of basically its entire body. Which you'll understand more of in a bit, actually. Okay. Okay. It looks like it's got a collar around its neck. Yeah, apparently there's also supposed to be some portion of it where some people are like, oh, it's wounded. And other people are like, no, it's just pomegranate juice, which is really intriguing because pomegranates are always associated with sexy stuff. Because mm. I don't know why. I don't, you know, it's a call me by your name kind of peach moment, but pomegranates. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> but uh, look me in the eyes and tell me that if you could have like a real tapestry of that, you wouldn't hang it in your house. 
No, of course I would hang that in my house. Are you kidding? It's got the color scheme of my house already, and it's a historical object. Hello, and it's mythology. It's, like, made for my house. Okay, now, Tracy, you've been sticking with me through a lot of stuff that I knew would bug you. Uh-huh. Um, so I have a present for you. <gasps> okay. This is detail of a miniature of a unicorn tamed by a virgin and being killed by a hunter. I don't like and this. it is from... Why would wait, I like this? wait, wait. It's from the Rochester Bestiary. So, Tracy recently came out to visit me, and we went to the Getty, and we got to look at illuminated manuscripts. Yes. And bestiaries are kind of like the fairy tale next step of an illuminated manuscript. I Oh, absolutely. Tracy loves an illuminated manuscript. I love a bestiary. And they're basically... Oh, oh. No, we're team, we're both team bestiary. I'm with you on that one. Oh, oh, you mean you like the cool picture that I pulled for you? What? Mm. <laughs> I don't like that this unicorn is being killed. I don't like that. It's okay. It's gonna. It's. I have presents for you. Okay. Um, for anyone who doesn't know why Tracy and I are <laughs> having a moment about bestiaries, <laughs> they're medieval encyclopedias that cataloged beasts, both real. And imagined with no distinction between them, often because no one had any idea what was real or fictional, or if maybe a real thing was just wrong. Mm-hmm. And also, the animals were almost always linked to biblical figures, and those biblical figures were almost always Jesus. And unicorns were pretty much linked to Jesus because virgins and pure, but also so were pelicans. So interesting. Never heard that one before. Yeah, so if you want to describe this bestiary page for us. Okay. It is a classic medieval illuminated manuscript. It's got a gold background, some green grass hills on the front. Um, They're in sort of three quarters pose. There's a naked virgin on the right, mostly covered by a dying unicorn, covering the rest of her bits with her hand. (laughs) <laughs> on the left is a hunter in full chainmail stabbing into the unicorn. And it's got a really pretty blue border around the outside. The unicorn is also looking a little ribby. And I refuse to believe that a unicorn would be having trouble finding food. Yeah. The unicorn has a really, really long horn. It goes outside the border of the drawing. Which I kind of like. From an artistic standpoint. (laughs) It's a cool artistic standpoint. The spear stabbing into it is the tiniest little thin white line. Yeah, but there's a virgin there, and she's solving the problem. Right, right. (laughs) I love this because everyone at this time, or at least some people at this time, were taking this so seriously. So here are some other intriguing animals that I found Within the Rochester bestiary specifically. And this is your reward for looking at a unicorn being murdered. <laughs> Thank you. So we've got Siren, half human, half bird, fine. Basilisk, king of the serpents. It's the king because it can kill other serpents with its smell. Okay. Okay. Got a manticore, another classic. Uh, specifically coming from India with the face of a man and the body of a lion. But here's where we're getting fun. Mm. A caladrius. A white bird capable of predicting the outcome of an illness. That is all so specific. The Hercinia, a German bird that glows in the dark. 
I want to glow in the dark bird. This is my favorite. Okay. The Paradexian tree. An Indian tree whose shadow frightens dragons. Stop. That's amazing. I know. It's so good because in that one entry, you get that there are officially dragons. There are officially trees whose shadows can fight the dragons. Or at least frighten them and then you hide in the shadow and you're safe. So, bestiaries. So cool. Every time. Yeah, they're great. I love bestiaries. I love those old botanical books. I love an illuminated manuscript. The New York Times writes, in the 17th century AD, its appearance in the King James Version of the Bible helped legitimize the unicorn. By then, a white-bodied equine mystic, its horn could purify water and cure epilepsy. If you remember the ancient Greek quote I read above, it just carried right on through. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely carried through. And then with the association with Jesus, the purity aspect, the healing aspect, the goodness, the light, all of that makes sense that it came into it. Matt Simon, writing for Wired, says, Thus the unicorn became firmly implanted in European lore. What followed was a full-blown mania for their horns, which were said to detect poison if you stirred them around in your food or drink. They went for tens of thousands of dollars in today's money and were particularly popular among paranoid royalty. More industrious users who didn't want to wait around to have their food poisoned would grind up the horns, usually those of the oryx or narwhal, whose horn is actually a giant tooth, to gain immunity from toxins. End quote. The full-blown spiraling horn Mm-hmm. was incredibly expensive and valuable at this time. Since the Middle Ages, Danish sailors and other northern merchants realized that su- their southern European neighbors would pay quite a lot for the tusks of narwhals mm. because those Europeans believed in unicorns and had no clue what a narwhal was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And also, I don't like what that means for narwhals. Yeah. Narwhals are toothed Arctic whales. The males and actually some females have these massive teeth that grow out through the middle of their head. And they can be up to 10 feet, 10 feet of beautiful spiraling horn coming out of their cute little spotty heads. 10 foot of horn? But think about that. That's why the horns on all of those illustrations of the white horse unicorns are so long because the really cool, badass narwhal horns were so long and they're yeah. just going, oh, yeah, that's on a horse now. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, te- I mean, 10 feet, that's two of me lengthwise just for the horn. Yeah. Oh, my that's God. That's a big daddy narwhal. Yeah. Or I guess maybe a mommy because some of the, the ladies got it. And I don't know why, but I do like that. Yeah. Good for them. Once this trade became prevalent, most descriptions of unicorn horns became consistent in that part of the world. The long, white, spiraling horn. Mm -hmm. And it really, it, it truly is a bummer for whaling and also a very clever way to manipulate other people with your natural resources. No, totally. As a business venture, the concept of it, I love it. I just, I feel for the narwhals. That's not great. Oh, yeah. The narwhals are the real losers in this story, unfortunately. Um, They get mistreated left, right, and center. 
It was in 1638 that the Danish physician Ola Worm, who eventually determined that the alicorns were really the tusks of narwhals. What is an alicorn, you're asking? Uh-huh. What's an alicorn? The alicorn is the horn. Oh. Unicorn horn. It's what unicorn horn is made of. Yeah. It could be actually made of a narwhal tusk, mm-hmm. elephant or walrus ivory, oryx or other animal horns. Whatever people could get their hands on and convince other people were unicorn horns. Okay. Gotcha. It was given as diplomatic gifts displayed in cabinets of curiosities, put in various royal scepters, the cups of kings were carved out of it, an imperial crown was made for the Austrian Empire, the unicorn throne of Danish kings was created out of it. Alicorn powder was sold in Europe as medicine as late as about 1741. Wow. Less shocking when you think about how people are still buying rhinoceros horn for their erections. That is true. Even after the time when it sort of faded out of being medicine, there were signs made around about 1750 to hang over the doors of German apothecaries that looked like unicorns because their association with medicine didn't go away as quickly as their use in medicine. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. It's like it's like a green cross or a red cross or, you know, wherever you are. So it would be like walking up and seeing the caduceus staff with the two snakes wrapping around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I wish our doctors had little unicorn symbols. That would be really fun. I know a nurse practitioner I could probably get to wear one. <laughs> then my dreams will have been met. That would be amazing. Okay, oh well, I'll I'll just ask around. <laughs> okay. So by the 18th century, belief in unicorns was waning. Folks had explored the world. They thought they'd filled in the map, and they were like, not a single gosh darn unicorn, and rhinoceri aren't as pretty as we were promised they'd be. <laughs> it wasn't until the Victorian era, when everyone rediscovered them for the vibe, and those <laughs> tapestries became super popular to recreate as paintings that they began appearing in popular imagery again. It's always the Victorians. It's always the Victorians. Those guys got wild. <laughs> Everything. They were like, do it for the vibe. Do it for the vibe, truly. They did have that energy. Do it for the vibe was <laughs> the Victorian motto, famously. Queen Victoria loved to say that. So... I don't I don't have any good preamble for my story this week. I don't I don't know what I'm doing, um, to be honest. Great, neither do I. So it's the blind leading the blind, and uh, I'm excited to go on this journey with you. <laughs> Once upon a time, when the grass was green and the sky was blue and the air was clear and the sun was bright, there were animals that roamed the earth. And among these rabbits and cats and lizards and fish There was one animal most mythical of all, the unicorn. Tall as any steed ever has been, white as the freshest styrofoam, strong as the cleverest encryption, this was the ruler of the animal kingdom. To look upon a unicorn was to believe in all of the possibilities of the universe. For all its wonder, A unicorn is possessed of all the other parts that such an animal might need. 
four wide hooves to stamp the dirt and gallop at incredible speeds, a long tail of silken hair to wave in the wind, a mane for holding and a wide back on which to ride. That's just a horse. Don't say just. You've never seen a horse. You've never seen someone who's seen someone who's seen a horse. There is no just. The little boy looked up at me with such stubbornness I almost wanted to agree simply to reward his pluck. That is not the point of these stories, so I ruffled his hair and continued with the tale. It's not just a horse. It's a unicorn. There's that fearsome horn protruding from his forehead, a twisting braid of bone. It can terrify the most villainous of men, gore the fiercest opponent. The mere dip of its point into a river will purify the water for ten generations. No poison, no bacteria, no virus can survive the touch of a unicorn. That's not possible. Medicine isn't actually made from horns, and horses have been domesticated for over 6,000 years. It would be absurd for them to evolve a defense mechanism to use on the species that they rely on for food. I blinked at the little boy. He was at the age when every child wants so badly to understand the world. To have it neatly defined and participate in the definition... I'd known him since he was born. All the children on this floor were permitted to scurry from room to room, roughly two dozen adults looking after them. Each room a family, each floor a commune, each building a town. How else was a young child to have enough room to get out their energy if we didn't open our doors for them to boomerang in and out of small compartments? Save your knowledge of horses. This is a unicorn, unbridled and unburdened by man, champion of nature, ruler among the trees. Yes, trees. Wild trees growing wherever they will. No neat, tidy rows here. The adventure for the unicorn is a perilous one, filled with turmoil within and without. Only the bravest heroes will seek out this most magical of monsters. For millennia, rulers have sought their power. Even just their image once struck fear into the hearts of enemies. To find a unicorn, you must adventure out into the woods. Here the trees grow high and low, dozens of varieties together, fallen and rotting with leaves and brambles underfoot, and there isn't a path in sight. There's never been pavement here. You must venture out into the dark night, not the dark of the city, the darkness that knows no light but the stars and the moon. Those celestial orbs are as crisp as animation, gleaming down and transforming the messy world of the growing forest into glimmering black and white. Here, there is no guide, no map, no blue line to lead the way. No one who's made the journey can tell you exactly how you'll get there. The forest is the place where there are no people, and there never have been. No signs, no rules, no streets, no school or city limits. You'll know you're there before you see the unicorn. One day, you will slow down. You'll put away the music and the screens. And if you wait long enough in the silence, 
the magic will come and you'll slip right through your normal life into the woods. What is magic? <sighs> magic is... Here I paused. I've never met a child that didn't know what magic was. Magic is the world before science. It is conception, people, ideas, inventions born unpredictably into the world to grow wildly into their own. You could be born, live, and die, transforming all the while into someone else from one day to the next. Magic is mystery and privacy, the opportunity to guess and come up wrong, try again and fail and fail and try again still, to live a life unblemished and undefined by any productivity or title. He looked at me baffled. I'd said too many nonsensical phrases to him, concepts he had no way of understanding. But to his credit, he hung in with me. I tried again. Magic looks like the beauty in something someone else said was ugly. Mismatched freckles and big noses and crooked grins and light across murky water. Making something for the first time with a real pen on real paper. Magic sounds like... Well, magic spells are when someone says something brave or new to themselves. They're especially powerful if the magician can say the brave thing in front of people who disagree. And magic feels like being happy even when it's hard. Or stronger yet, the feeling of contentment when you want for nothing new and you like who you are even when the ads say differently. When you've found magic and practiced and gotten good enough at doing it, you'll enter the woods easily and begin to search for the unicorn. This beast shimmering like mercury and clever, so clever you wouldn't believe, will run away always in your periphery. The thing you need to understand about unicorns, boy, is that you never really want to catch one. What would you do if you did? Lock it up and tame the beast? No. The unicorn is the heart of magic, the ever forward, ever better. You must hunt it. Keep it always in sight, and in your hunting, keep the unicorn just out of reach. Now I'd gone too far. I could feel the boy's frustration rolling off him in waves. This was not the sort of story he'd hoped for. No gory triumph, no hero's journey. Unicorns don't exist. They aren't real. For a magical thing to be real, it doesn't need to exist for anyone else but you. He made a face at me that he would continue to make for weeks to come. Every time he saw me, he scrunched his nose and messed up his chin and rattled off a series of excuses about the long history of horse domestication that he'd searched up online. I didn't mind. I just let him fuss. I caught him a few times, small little boy that he was, hidden away in a room alone, sitting in dark silence with no screen prattling or media droning. He would sit and stare out the window, or even at a wall. Unmoving. 
I saw him once with paper in hand, which must have cost a fortune, and within the week, he'd slid a picture under my door. Long slashes of ballpoint pen mixed with fluffy scribbles of all sizes, a mess, his drawing, with no neat rows or order. He'd drawn the woods, and there, in the back, created from what wasn't drawn, a distant unicorn. He never asked me for another tale, but as he grew over the years, I watched a stillness bloom in him that his peers could not understand. He certainly didn't notice it. My young friend went away to school in a different part of the city. He got a job, came back to the building, moved to his own floor filled with its own crowd of children. He paid me a visit when he first returned, all tall and proud, and then I didn't see him for so long that I stopped wondering how he was. My day-to-day was filled with working, until it wasn't. Then it was filled with doctors. And all the while, there were new little ones that families brought to the minuscule rooms of the floor. He came back again, late one evening, as a knock on my door. Not as tall as last I remembered him, a bit gray at the temples even, with smile lines around his eyes that made me happy to see. I've been to the woods, he said. So another child invited him in. I can't believe he needed to be told. When someone's drawing hangs on your refrigerator for decades, covering up that very large screen, they shouldn't need an invitation back home. But the new little scamp led him to my bedside, and he pulled up a chair to sit with me a while. I've been to the woods, and I go often. I understand now what you mean about the unicorn. He told me about his life. The messiness of growing up, the grander mess of thinking you've done all your growing. He told me about the difficulty of finding love and having a rebellious daughter, about daily anguish and how hard it was just to live. But he also told me about magic. About the messiness of growing up and that great big mess of always growing. He told me about his wife and how he loved her bedhead, and how fun it was to teach his daughter even the most mundane new things, the time he stood up to his boss, how much he loved washing dishes by hand, and the way distant sunlight turned the city smog into a jewel box. Then he leaned into me and whispered, I found the unicorn. Tall as any steed ever has been, white as the freshest styrofoam, strong as the cleverest encryption, the ruler of the animal kingdom. You were right. To look upon a unicorn is to believe in all the possibilities of the universe. I have said magic spells and protected magic mysteries. I have tried and failed and kept on trying, and I taught my daughter how to find the woods. He smiled at me for a long time, holding my weak and knobby hand. He wiped spittle from my face and brushed lank white hair from my eyes. He gestured for the new child to come over and sit by us. Then the boy 
who was now a man, looked at me with the same mischievous grin I once gave him, and he began the story. Once upon a time, when the grass was green and the sky was blue, when the air was clear and the sun was bright, there were animals that roamed the earth. And among these rabbits and cats and lizards and fish, there was one animal, most mythical of all, the unicorn. I say this a lot, but this is now up there with one of my favorite things you've ever written. There's so many subtle little implications you put into this story that I love. The One, just the idea of an entire story told from basically the equivalent of like an NPC. Like this guy didn't experience any of the adventure. Mm-hmm. And you you imply that the the boy who grew up into a man went on crazy adventures, saying spells, protecting magic mysteries. And I love that you chose to tell it from the perspective of the person that inspired that. I mean, that's beautiful. And also the idea of this being somewhat of a sci-fi futuristic feeling place. It feels like the world now, but just more distant. Yeah. Uh, Well, the writer should never tell you, I guess, what they think about, but whatever, it's our podcast. Um, I wrote it specifically to be in the regular world, in the future, and there are no woods, and there is no unicorn. Right. And going to the woods is something you do in your head. Oh. To survive. And. Oh my god, that's so brilliant. Like going to the, the the woods is the the this storyteller's way of like telling this kid you have to find something in you that is not the discontentment that they're gonna sell you that's out here. The woods is the mess and the nature and all of that. And you can't catch the unicorn because the unicorn is like the hope and the wanting and the the perfect imagination mm-hmm. so you have to go for it and you can't get it um so that i wrote it to not exist but mm-hmm. i would like it if it did also <laughs> oh that was amazing rowan really really amazing thanks yeah you know girl girl has the chance to write a story about a unicorn does she put in a goddamn rainbow no she does not <laughs> no not one not a single one not a single one <laughs> Could have gone My Little Pony, did not. No, and I'm glad you didn't. That would have not been you. I also love the idea of people who don't have the same language we have to describe things. Like, white as the freshest styrofoam is such a different world to me. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're like, the cleanest something can look, is this plastic? (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah. Because we always describe it as natural things, like as freshly fallen snow and describe it as something man-made and and it's just not something we think of as special yeah like what if there is no freshly fallen snow like that's gone right paper is so expensive you're not going to use that like you have to right oh so i i basically spent almost the whole time i was working on this episode working on that story i love it and then i was like oh the history oh yeah i guess i should should give you some information about unicorns oh right (laughs) the rhinoceri and the rhinoceroses and the rhinocepodes rhinocepods right right (laughs) it just is so fascinating to me that 
all of the information about unicorns is really just like colonization, trying to figure it out, or non-unicorn mythology kind of just being lumped in because they had one horn one time. Yeah. Or anthropology that we just have no idea what it is. So it's like, cool, it's a unicorn now. Like unicorn as a term Mm -hmm. to lump rather than as an entity. Because in my head, unicorn is like, my dad used to tell me this story when I was little, this adventure story that I was like, he would put me in it. Um, and there was a unicorn that when it kicked the water, it made stars. Mm. And if you got the water on you, you, you had like stars on you. Um, and so there, you know, there's that idea of the fantastical like unicorn, like the yeah. la- the last unicorn, the 1980s movie. Did you watch that? No. No, I never watched it. I here here's the thing. I never watched it. I know our it's our friend Emmeline's like one of her favorite movies of all time. Um it, it's just sad. I'm I'm good. I'm good. It's really sad. My favorite sad. quote from that movie is don't cry. If you've become human enough to cry, then all the magic in the world can't change you back. And he's talking about a unicorn being a human. Yeah, that's not for me. it's so for me (laughs) (laughs) i have found on this podcast very often what i think is going to be an overwhelmingly intense topic to cover with like so much information i don't even know where to begin there's like four things about it except for the gosh darn Loch Ness monster yeah that one (laughs) that's a future episode Everyone needs to know that occasionally Tracy and I will be like, oh, we need something fun, like light lift. And we'll go, and one of us will go, the Loch Ness Monster. And there's so much information about there's so much. There's so much. <laughs> and that's what I think you think with unicorns. Everyone makes movies about unicorns. And, and, and what it comes down to is because this thing is so ubiquitous in pop culture, you think there's this rich history behind it. And oftentimes there's not the rich history behind it so much as it's ubiquitous concept like leprechauns i thought there'd be so much on leprechauns and there was like four stories on leprechauns total but we've just talked about them for centuries it was really fun though i have to say like for me the thing that was so satisfying was reading the quote and then get trying to guess what real animal was in that region that people might have been talking about yes. and then getting to the next paragraph where you, you know the phds were like and here are all the animals that it could have mm-hmm. been <laughs> So I pulled a five-star review. Oh, okay. All right. Absolutely groundbreaking. Ooh. This is from <laughs> Layla. There's so much care and effort and attention put into each episode. I've learned so much. It satisfies both the little kid in me who would have fallen down rabbit holes of mythology and the painfully curious adult who enjoys well-presented information. Absolutely brilliant work. If you're here scrolling through reviews before you listen, stop reading and start listening. Oh, that's lovely. I'd love that. <laughs> that's a very charming way to end a review. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to snag that next time a review podcast. Oh, yes. That I love. Mm-hmm. Thank you for saying nice things about us. Yeah, that was really really sweet. It makes such a difference to leave reviews for us and and we see them and they always make our days. Oh, we see them. Oh, we see them. Either either we text them to each other or one of us pulls it and ferrets it away for yes. an episode. 
which is my favorite game to play. Yes. <laughs> very, very true. So, Tracy, you want to tell me something good? Sure. My something good. And it's been it's been a minute since we've recorded <laughs> and I struggled trying to think of what to put as my something good, but I decided to go with the fact that I recently got to do a photo shoot for someone that I knew in college who has a D&D improv group. Ooh. Yeah, so they do this show where uh it's improv, it's improv comedy, but They'll have a rogue and a fighter and a cleric, but the cleric's god is a, is an audience member who throws suggestions. <gasps> the wizard, um, all the audience members will write down different spells when they come in, and the wizard has a bag of spells. So whenever they go to cast, they'll say, I cast Storm of Toads or whatever they pull out of their bag. <laughs> they have to cast that spell. It's really cool. Oh, my God. I want to go to that show. I would love it so much. Yes, it's so cool. Is there a I'm, warlock? I'm- can you be? Can an audience member be a warlock patron? Because that would be spicy. That would be cool. Maybe I mean I know they play around with what the different characters are, um, and there's two different DMs. So That's it's so it's cool. at Comedy Sports. If you're in Philadelphia, check out Role Play, a D and D improv adventure. So that was really fun to get to meet all of them and, and do the photos for the for the cast. That's so fun. Yeah, and and Casey came and helped me as my assistant and was delightful. Casey's the best and is, is the best. truly, if any human is deserving of delightful, it is her. <laughs> yes, that's so true. All right, now it's your turn, Rowan. Tell me something good. So not to make everything about TTRPGs. <laughs> well, or we do. That's who we or are. Or we do. Uh, yesterday I went and hung out with a bunch of friends in two different locations over this weekend, I got to play mm-hmm. TTRPGs, and some of the friends had overlap, so it was very fun. It was a lot of gaming, and I'm just so I'm just so spoiled by talented gamers in my life. And we we played this game called Wolves of Mercia. Mm-hmm. And it's one night ultimate werewolf, but if everyone has a role and a secret, and it's based very heavily on tarot. Oh, that's fun. And it was so satisfying. I instantly bought it uh, while we were still playing. It's on sale on a lot of websites right now okay. for half off. So if, I don't know, if by the time you're hearing this, you should check to see if it's still on sale. Yeah. I think it's $20 full price. It was $10. Uh, so worth it. We, in playing it, discovered that if we played it again, there were some mechanics that we would change house rules. Mm-hmm. But it was very cool because there were enough things that you can do that. There, there were mm-hmm. an, That game has infinite playthroughs. And One Night Ultimate Werewolf is fun, but I always mm-hmm. find myself getting bored too quickly. For anyone who has no idea what I'm talking about, sorry, One Night Ultimate Werewolf is the game... Where, you know, there's one person who's the werewolf trying to kill the townspeople and you all shut your eyes and it's like heads up, seven up and certain townspeople are trying to figure out who the werewolf is and Mm -hmm. the werewolf's trying to kill everyone. And then you have trials and stuff. But in this, there's like a slayer and an inquisitor and you could secretly be have your own murder adventure going on that has nothing to do with it and you can be an arsonist or you could be a cultist that's trying to bring curses and you can cast curses to make the werewolf do things even if you don't know who the werewolf is oh that's fun and technically 
anyone who's not you winning means you lose. Right. Except for a couple. So you might want to help the werewolf. Mm-hmm. And at one point, due to a fluke of the cards, um, I became the werewolf and the slayer. And so I won the game because I, I slayed myself. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In theory, could you also win the game by just living? By werewolfing myself? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably, but I wanted to have a dramatic speech, and built into the Slayer card, you can have a dramatic speech. Very good. Very good. So the game is Wolves of Mercia. Yes. And okay. to be fair, when we all first saw it, we were like, is that Wolves of Murka? Like, Murka. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. I would recommend it. Awesome. So gaming. <laughs> Gaming, it's great. Gaming, friends, we're very grateful for all of them, and we're grateful for all of you, and thank you so much for joining us, and remember that stories grow with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend. Or tell a foe, and we'll see you soon, okay? Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our music was written and performed by Taylor Ash, and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes and custom merch. Or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. You know when you have some days where the only thing between you and a mental breakdown is a good Diet Coke?